All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome again to a Friday afternoon edition of Green Rush Live. I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media and sometimes regular host of this program. We've been doing this program on Friday afternoons from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time for the last three years. And we've had some incredible shows, incredible guests. And this particular one that's upcoming is definitely going to, I don't know if it's going to raise the bar, but it's certainly going to get to that bar. And I'm not talking about the bar in your neighborhood town. I'm talking about a level of expertise and entertainment and educational content. Uh, this week, I can tell you that my regular guest host, Josh Kincaid from The Talking Hedge, and also our Washington State correspondent from We Talk News will be joining me alongside as the guest host. Hello, Josh. Hello, Jimmy. Good to talk with you. Good to see you. And we're so welcomed, uh, so happy to have uh, Jean Sullivan with us. She is with ArcView. ArcView is involved with a major investment conference this coming week uh, he, in New York City. It's called Live in NYC. Gene Sullivan, thank you so much for joining us here on Green Rush Live. Thank you, Jimmy and Josh. Hey, listen, this is big news because do you know when the last live ArcView event was? I was there. February 2020, Santa Monica. So we are thrilled that we're back. This is the first time. And here's the other thing I'm so proud of. That event was my 22nd ArcView event, because I've been on the team for that many years, curating, uh, trying to make it happen on stage, having a ball and a one way to get to know the business and get to know the fabulous people in our business. It is remarkable, isn't it? I, I spent three days at a conference this past weekend, and I so enjoy the uh, camaraderie, collaboration, and the passion that pretty much anybody who's in this business as an entrepreneur, as an investor, or a regular uh, business person, uh, we all share that passion for this. We realize we're all part of history. Am I right, Jean? Totally. It is a real hallmark of our cannabis sector, a real collegiality that exists, and we really seek that. And something else we seek, we want to have more women and diverse people as part of the business. Oh, look, I'm a longtime tech investor, and we want to make a difference because that isn't what happened in the tech world. So we're really trying hard to promote that. Yeah. Hey, we are supposed to be getting one of the co-founders of ArcView. Uh, Troy Gayton has been invited onto this show, and I'm sure the the many staffers that I have on my team are out trying to uh, connect with him and get him the right uh, link as well, uh, just in case he might be on. I believe he's on Pacific time. Am I right, Gene? That's right. Yeah, Josh, uh, I, you're on Pacific time, right? I'm in New York. That's and, right. Uh, so uh, that's what we but, like to do here is we like to we connect both coasts. This is what I like. And I think ArcView has a history of that, too, because it was started by Troy and Steve D'Angelo, right? Two incredible pioneers. I'm very hopeful that Troy jumps on. He's a wonderful guy. And you know what? Here's the thing. They didn't even start it for what it ended up to be. Mm -hmm. They started because they were appalled at the terrible social justice infractions, people going to jail, you know, and by the way, 12 years later, they're still going to jail. But luckily, that is somewhat curbed. But they started it to help fight the fact that people were being incarcerated just for the plant. And then it morphed, and they became the go-to community 
where investors would meet entrepreneurs. And here's the cool thing that's so amazing. That community, and I was there for many, many years of these last 12 years in those meetings, in these events, that community of members invested $300 million in just about every cannabis company there is. And so that's how really Arcview built that community and really were the only game in town. And this happened just very serendipitously because people love to get together, back to what you were saying, being collegial, being supportive of each other, sharing deal flow, sharing ideas. And that's what created Arcview and the vibrancy. So here we are again, recreating that connection. And 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 there's been a few developments, let's just say, since the last live ArcView uh, webinar, conference, investment group, whatever, however you want to call this event coming up in New York City. Um, the president of the United States, I know I heard this a few weeks ago, actually uh, mentioned the fact, and this is the first time I've heard a president actually mention the fact that the cannabis laws in the United States are a little screwed up, let's just say. And he has tried, again, to live up to his campaign promises and also start that ball rolling of descheduling. And I believe the Secretary of Health and Human Services has already started to look into the descheduling of cannabis. Uh, he did, uh, quote unquote, let 6,500 federal, federally uh, guilty people who had, had uh, possession crimes of cannabis free. Now, a lot of people in the industry say he didn't do enough. That's an easy thing to poke at, obviously, because I think everyone in the industry and 70% of our populace now wants this plant legalized. Gene, first of all, I need to get your reaction to what President Biden did and said uh, a few weeks ago. So let me give you the inside baseball on that one, Jimmy. Okay. There is a very hardcore group. And Steve D'Angelo, the one of the wonderful OGs and pioneer and co-founder of Arcview. I was with them the other night at a wonderful dinner party right here in New York City. Uh, there's a, a really strong group of advocates that really did behind the scenes force Biden to say all that when he said it. But they're still upset because it hasn't gone far enough. There's still thousands of people in our jails and prisons. And so we want Biden to live up to his campaign promises. But here's here's kind of the sad story. And look, I want our president to prevail on this issue. I want change. I so want safe banking. Heck, I want federal legalization. But the sad truth is that there's a lot of constituencies that don't want that and have been the primary funders of people like Chuck Schumer, our very senator here in New York, who's been, you know, has a bill, you know, to reform uh, cannabis uh, regulation and legalization. And Biden, who's been openly against, you know, he's been against uh, mm -hmm. this, this whole issue for years. So finally, he is at least saying these things. Now, here's what to pay attention to. What scares those of us who so want this to happen is he used the word scheduling. Notice you use the word descheduling. That's what we want. But he didn't use that word. So what scares us is, is he thinking about rescheduling? If he reschedules to Schedule 2, guess who has Schedule 2 licenses? Big Pharma. Right. But 
If he does reschedule to schedule three, that does mean it's more open and 280E, that draconian tax law, terrible tax law that doesn't even allow you to deduct ordinary and reasonable business expenses, that would go away under Schedule 3. Having said that, I want to be clear. We want it descheduled. Let fair markets and free markets prevail. Absolutely. And, and um, Josh, I know you're very well versed on all this being from Washington State now anyway. Uh, walk us through what you think the Washington State's process and how have they actually learned anything along the way of being one of the first states to legalize? I think they learned how to do it wrong. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there was that misconception I think a lot of people have where it's like, let's just push this through and then we'll fix it. And then a decade goes by and you're like, oh, wait, we, we haven't fixed it yet. You know, I, I mean, I was naive about the Class C felony on maintaining and operating a cannabis lounge. That was half a decade ago. And we haven't made any progress on that at all, even though I wrote the bill in 2019. But then COVID has stalled that. So while we wait for delivery and while we wait for, you know, all of these other things, uh, we still have one of the highest taxes out there, one of the most competitive uh, marketplaces, but they're slowly working its way out now as we all try to work together rather than against each other. So is that the lesson we learned? It's better to work together and learn from the mistakes from the past of perhaps the first couple of states? I mean, did Colorado get it more right than Washington state? I don't know. I mean, they have vertically integrated opportunities. They have the ability to have outside investment capital. They have all of these other things that we don't have. So I think, you know, we can learn from that and, and change that a bit. Um, but there's so many other things like social equity and, um, you know, cafes and delivery. And I mean, the list goes on for what we need here. Well, let's, let's talk about that because uh, we're going to have on our stage the two architects. And of course, it's two powerful, smart women who were the architects of what's called the MRTA statute, which is the statute for New York State that legalizes adult use regulation. That happened on March 31st, a year ago, so in 2021. Now note, uh, the regulations are not out yet, so we're waiting for that, which will refine and define the statute. And we're anxiously waiting for that, but you know what? To do it right, it's complicated, it takes time, it takes a staff of people, and they really just appointed that team over the last several months. I'm sure you know the name Tremaine Wright. She is mm -hmm. the chairman of what's called the OCB. And then Chris Alexander, he's the executive director. Now, we want all this to happen yesterday, but it does take time. I think people are patient about that. Now, here's, here's what's up though that is exciting. I, of course, to what you both said, can't these states learn from each other? I'm hopeful because I'm proud and a long time uh, you know, New Yorker. I want our program to be one of the best of all. We were the 19th state to adopt adult use regulation. We want, why not learn? Here's a few things we did do right in the statute. We're the only state that has in the statute social consumption lounges. So you see how Nevada and other states have had to fight for that legislatively. It's built into the statute. Why not? New York's a great 
you know, nightlife town and and social consumption kind of place uh, with other libations. So we do see this. We we had a great conference last year in the Rainbow Room. Why not go to the Rainbow Room, have a beautiful dinner, and have your canned drink or a delicious, you know, uh, cannabis beverage there? So that's built in. Another thing they built in, to your point, uh, Josh, is social equity uh, focus. So uh, they did something that no other state has done. They said, okay, if you have a certain conviction and other business acumen that you can show us, we're going to let 150 applicants, it's called CARD, the ac acronym is C-A-U-R-D, pronounced CARD, stands for Conditional Adult Use Recreational Dispensary License. They're gonna to go to the front of the line, that deadline's already passed, 904 applications were submitted and 150 are gonna be picked. Then, and they're ahead of everybody, the regular portal for everybody else has not even been issued yet. So they're at the front of the line they are, uh, are gonna await being selected based on what they put in their application. And then listen to this, very unusual, again, the only state that's done this. The state is going to provide the lease for these 150 dispensaries. So they will have to pay for the lease, but the state's gonna acquire them. Then they can decorate it however they want. So put some personal touch on it, but it's gonna be turnkey the software, the infrastructure, and that sort of thing is gonna be provided. So the applicant, the license holder, will have to raise some money, but not the millions and millions that's typically needed for a dispensary. What do you think of that? Well, I, I think it's amazing, and I think it's also fair and about time and all those things, but I gotta tell you something. And Josh, I, I, I'm interested to get your feeling on this too. In Massachusetts, and I now just found out in New York, um, private events are okay for consumption. The, the weekend that I just enjoyed in Boxborough, Massachusetts was a private event um, where the uh, producers and organizers took over the Boxborough Regency Hotel and there was open consumption. Uh, there was no alcohol allowed. Everybody was wearing a plus 21 bracelet. It was very well uh, handled and, and there was no big deal about it at all. In fact, the police enjoy cannabis events because you don't get as rowdy on the product as you might on alcohol. And that being, that being said, in New York City a few weeks ago, I went to the Medley Supper Club. Now, Gene, have you ever been there or heard about this place? Not yet, but they're one of the speakers at our event, so I understand who they are. That was a great experience, okay? First of all, I was amazed, A, that, you know, it was open consumption. There was a, a pre-roll at my at my uh, plate when I arrived at my dinner seat. Uh, there was open consumption indoors. Um, it was a beautiful, I think it was a five-course meal. It was outstanding food, no alcohol, mocktails that were also infused with uh, cannabinoids. And again, I didn't hear of any incidents. I think everybody had a great time. It was networking at its best, and it was in the heart of New York City. So to me, and Josh, I know you're working on this, to me, the social club exists. It's just not public yet. Well, let me give you a great nuance. 
Uh, yesterday, I listened to 10 companies pitch because I often am involved in these pitch fests. And this woman was pitching uh, in Colorado that you can't even consume in the public. In the statute, guess what they did here, which is so brilliant. You can smoke or use cannabis anywhere you can smoke or use cigarettes. Right. And in these private, now many hotels will not allow that even here. But if you're on the sidewalk or on the rooftop in a home or whatever, yes, consumption is uh, totally legal. So this is thrilling to some old timers. Uh, Steve D'Angelo said he delights in walking down the street smoking a joint because it's the first time he could do it legally. So again, there's some brilliance to this statute. The two women who designed this are on our stage this next week. And hey, this is great. We like this because why should you be in Colorado where you're not even allowed to light up and so thus causing all kinds of issues. So yes, it's a good thing. Yeah. Hey, Josh, I know you're involved with uh, making some changes in Washington State. Why don't you give us an update on what's going on? Yeah. Um, well, I ended up reviewing a bunch of bills, 11 different states. New York, uh, we reviewed it was later on uh, after 2019 when we submitted it. But they did have some good stuff in there, um, like Gene mentioned. Washington is... Um, has got some support at the house rep level uh senator um yeah house rep cloba shelly cloba is interested in helping us to kind of push this um and allow for that the consumption to open up and hopefully that'll um also include social equity help small businesses allow for medical patients um and yeah small business growth all of those things should benefit as a result you know, one of the things that uh, it seems to be consistent about this issue, and here in Massachusetts, they still have not opened up any official public uh, social consumption lounges. I believe they've moved forward on it, passed some of the regulations, and you know now they're looking at licensees and maybe doing some experimental um, one-day licenses out there for different events, like the one I was just in attendance uh, at Boxborough, Massachusetts. But they they're they're still dragging their feet a little bit. I think they're really afraid of first of all, mixing alcohol and cannabis is a is not a good thing. I just it's want to say it's not a good thing. It's not a good, it's an eight-time you, you if you walk into a bar under the influence of cannabis and have a sip of a drink, you're now going to be eight times as intoxicated. They're blood. Right. And you do not want to get behind the wheel of a car at that point. OK, again, I'm a big, really big on responsible use of both products. Certainly, um, I think that's been drilled in our heads now, uh, thanks to Mothers Against Drunk Driving and that whole initiative. But now, as we all know, uh, there's still a lot of fear about people operating uh, under the influence of cannabis. And I, I want to get your feelings about this, because. I'm not saying that uh, I'm I'm saying that if you have too much of it don't get behind the wheel of a of a car. However, there are some people that have been driving under the influence of cannabis since the 60s. I remember the the front plates that used to say arrive stoned. Does anybody in here Oh, Gene, you do remember. Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's oh, not my thing. That's, well, I, I, it wasn't my thing either, but because I was 10 years old. But I do remember the front plates arrived stoned on, on a license plate, on a car license plate. And I, I just don't know, is that what's holding it back more than anything well, else? Is the people's people fear are, of this? People are afraid of this, and it's a legitimate concern. And of course, balance, uh, uh, appropriate use, 
is critical for people to understand that. And the other thing that's related, we need to have more knowledge. We need to understand efficacy. We need to understand tolerances and what people can take. Listen, I've gotten myself in trouble by not understanding how much THC was in something. And so everybody reacts differently. And yeah, we don't want people, you know, killing people and running down people by right. we're doing it or feeling lousy, you know, by taking too much. Yes, I agree. I, I have a few uh, funky pictures of people that I'm married to who managed to have a few scotches and then smoked a joint. And uh, yeah, it's not a good thing. It's yeah, not pretty. That's it's, also it's, a major head headwind is the uh, lobbyists for drunk driving and yeah. clean air indoor acts. So yeah. employees trying to, you know, that you can't be in a smoky environment and then drunk driving. But the reality is, is what we're seeing is a decrease in DUIs across all regulated states, a decrease right. in consumption of alcohol, taxes of cannabis, taking over taxes of alcohol. Right. So I, I think the fear is greater than the reality. Um, but they're they're fearful of the unknown. Once you open up this establishment, you can't really take that back. And I don't think they want to release that yet. Uh, and so there's a lot of, of headwinds. But once we can push through that fear of drunk driving, I think we can make some serious. Yeah, headwinds you're, you're right to, to to address that. And so being a longtime investor, I've had my binoculars on looking for products that could help, uh, you know, mitigate this problem. But believe it or not, and I've seen every product that's out there that let's say lawmakers or police departments could buy or use. But guess what? There's a variety of form factors from measuring breath to measuring blood to measuring, you know, uh, uh, attention span, and none of them have really gotten traction. They're expensive, they're kludgy, and uh, it's a problem. But that is one way that lawmakers think that they could help the problem. But the problem has, there's not been a good technology solution. It's education and research. Correct. This is what needs to be um, emphasized in this industry, I believe, so that we can learn, because it does affect everybody differently. I mean, I know people that are in there. 30s that are taking like 100 milligrams of THC a day and functioning. Now, there's also something called a functioning alcoholic. That being said, the point is everybody, everybody in everybody is different and it affects everybody differently. And those that take it medicinally, including um, oncologists, doctors who want to help their cancer patients out, and they are frustrated because they're limited, even in legal states, of a five milligram serving in any uh, a beverage, a beverage, for instance. So there's so much education that still needs there to be is. done. Let's yep. stay on this because here's a, a relevant uh, fact that relates to what you just said. Even CBD now, uh, many tinctures and gummies and all have enough THC in it to really get somebody buzzed. And now you can walk into any CBD store and buy a Delta 8 product. And right. let me tell you something, if our teenage kids and other people got a hold of it unknowingly, it really does do a number. So the education, the labeling is critical and we need more of that. So yeah, important. And do you would like to see, there are some states that have banned Delta-8, especially legal uh, adult use states in the United States. Would you like to see a uh, a ban on Delta-8? No, I can't say I would, but I do want 
good labeling. I yeah. want good knowledge. So listen to this. I was just with a major distributor who's in California, the number one distributor. And he said this product called Wonder, which is a terrific Delta 8 drink. I've tasted it is the number one leading beverage next to can. I'm sure you've heard of C-A-N-N. Yep. It's the number one tea, low seltzer, low dose uh, THC drink. It's delicious in a variety of, of tastes. But Wonder is right behind it. And I know Alexi, the CEO, he's just a dynamic CEO. And you no, know, I don't want that product off the shelf. I want it on the shelf, but I want people to know and uh, I've walked into these CBD sh uh, stores, bought a, a gummy, Delta gummy with uh, 25 milligrams of Delta, and it just, it's really much too powerful. Right. I, I agree. I, again, and teenage, teenagers and kids can walk in and buy that. That's right. And, and, and again, so I'm against that, but, you know, I want to see some possible age requirements now on that. Absolutely, 100%. Um, Gene Sullivan from ArcView, uh, you, give us another plug about the big investment summit coming up in New York City uh, and, and tell us a little bit how people can find out about more because I've been on your website. It's all over your website. Yes. Well, we're thrilled to be back live because people want to get together, as you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, although we used to be the only game in town, we're not, but that's okay because guess what? More and more net new people have awakened to, hey, how do I invest in this industry? What should I invest in? Where are the great companies or CEOs? So we're thrilled to bring that together along with a number of terrific thought leaders. And that's what's going to happen starting Wednesday night in New York City, starting with the big fun reception. Steve D'Angelo and Troy Dayton will be there. And we're going to have a big fun gathering. It's at a terrific event space called Convene at 45th and Park. And we welcome people to come. And then all day Thursday, which is October 20th, we have a rich set of sessions. I've already mentioned the two architects of the uh, MRTA, which is our New York statute. So Senator Liz Kruger, State Senator Liz Kruger, and the chairman of the New York State Assembly, Crystal People Stokes. These two women fought for years to create this bill and got it passed. So they're on stage with a terrific reporter as moderator. And then we've got several more very interesting sessions all lined up fast paced and interesting, uh, never boring. And then we've done something very, very cool. We have brought together many, many institutional investors who are active investing in cannabis companies. And we put them on stage. We're calling it a reverse pitch. So they're standing, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, from EEC, I'm Matt Hawkins, the founder of Entourage Effect Capital, and here's my fund, and here's what I'm looking for, and I want to meet you if you, you know, fit our metrics. And so, uh, entrepreneurs, attendees, other investors can meet about 15 of these investors. We're thrilled for that. Then the next morning, we're having an Ask Me Anything. So again, the investors are in the room, and the audience is able to ask away. You know, hey. Do I have to have an NDA? Uh, is this something you're looking for? 
uh, how do I get a meeting with you? That kind of question. And then uh, Friday afternoon, from Friday late morning, we have nine really great companies doing a short pitch and, you know, mingling with the attendees. So we're just thrilled to be back and present this kind of collection of people and thought leaders. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'll be there and I appreciate it. I just sent the link to Jeff Finkel. He'll be joining us as soon as he deplanes. So Gene Sullivan from Arcview Group, uh, best of luck this week. I look forward to seeing you in three dimensions. You know, this Zoom thing, I'm tired of it. I like seeing people in with depth perception, if you will. Great fun. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Jimmy. Thanks, Delighted Jim. to be here. You bet. And we'll be back with more, including a, a really cool panel coming up next. Don't go away. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season 1 of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.